0: Uh, good morning to you all. How's everybody doing? All right. um, So you're going to see a page of notes that's uh, being passed out. I know you guys have your typical note paper that you use. Uh, This is just a little bit more guided. It kind of is like fill in the blank notes, which I like that kind of stuff when I was a student. Uh, That helped me learn, helped me stay focused. So Um, You're going to see in the PowerPoint that we have today, uh, there will be certain points that will be underlined. So your first thing on your your note page, you should actually already be filling that in. Um, It says, what to do when we know God is good, that's the first blank, and you'll see how good is underlined up there, and faithful, that's the second blank, but we're not seeing it in the present moment. All right, and that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. The title of the message is, Even When I Don't See It. You know, I'm going to talk a little bit, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into Psalm 44, but um, how many of you guys have been a Christian for a little while, Uh, like more than probably a couple years? Would you, a lot of you, and how many of you are a little bit newer to the faith? And that's completely fine if you are. All right, not as many there, but In the Christian life, you guys, there are these things called seasons, right? We have seasons, right? Throughout the year, we have winter, uh, spring, and then fall and summer, you know. Um, I don't know if I said those in correct order or whatever, but it doesn't matter. And very similarly, in the Christian life, we have these things called seasons. Oh, you know what? Before we even get into that, I never even told you who I am, did I? Okay, I'll do that first. I'm Tate. Uh, I am one of the high school leaders over next door. Um, You may have seen me walking around church. Some of you might know me from um, Allegiance, uh, STEAM Academy, the charter school in Chino. Actually, uh, there's the potential that some of you know me from other schools in Chino Valley. I'm a PE teacher as well, so uh, that's how some of you you know me. But uh, I've been at this church for some time. I've been in the high school ministry for, I think... Oh, sorry. <laughs> I think about like six years or so. Uh, so been doing it for a little while. And uh, M- Pastor Joel, you guys call him Pastor Joel or you just call him Joel? Yeah. Pastor Joel? Yeah, either or. Uh, Joel was not feeling well today. Uh, so he he hit me up and asked if I can uh, fill in for him. So be praying for him. Pray for his health, that he feels better. Uh, but yeah, today I'll get back into what we were saying now. Uh, we're going to be talking about A season in the Christian life where you know God is good, right? Do you guys know God is good? God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. Yeah, you've probably said that many times. And you know God is faithful, right? But there's going to be these seasons in your Christian life. Maybe you're in one right now. Maybe you've been in one before where you know these things in your head, but you're not seeing it in the present moment. Okay, meaning... God, I know you're good. I know you're faithful. But why am I not experiencing your goodness and faithfulness in the moment? The real answer to that question is you are. You're just not looking at it correctly. So, uh, faithfulness, you guys, is an attribute of God that cannot be separated from who He is. God is purely, 100%, absolutely faithful. You and I are not faithful, right? We, we make promises that we don't keep. But that is not how God is. God is 100% faithful. God has never been proven unreliable, but has always been trustworthy and faithful. And he always comes through according to his good and perfect will. And it's really important today that we know uh, that we're confident that God is good and that we're confident that God is faithful. Because when we get in these times of life where we're not experiencing it, what do we do? And that's what we're going to get into today. So go ahead and open in your Bibles, if you have not already, to Psalm 44. Psalm 44. And as you guys are opening there, let's go ahead and pray. Uh, God, we come before you this morning. Lord, just so thankful to be able to gather together. And Lord, we do recognize, Lord, that you are good and we recognize that you are faithful. But God, when, when life isn't going according to our plans, oftentimes it's tempting to think that you're not good and think that you're not faithful, but that's not true. We know that you are. So God, teach us today. Lord, make your word come alive to us. God, give us understanding and teach us that which you would have us to learn. In Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm 44, you guys, it's a pretty interesting Psalm. It's very much filled of like highs and lows and then highs. Um, it's it's one of the Psalms in the Bible that we actually don't know who uh, the author is. It's quote unquote, one of the sons of Korah, which means it could have be uh, a lot of different people. Uh, but you know, some Psalms, David, you know, he signs his name at the beginning of the psalm. Some Psalms, we get like sons of Korah. So Uh, The psalmist is what I'm going to refer to him as. The psalmist in this psalm, you guys, he talks about a lot of different things. And him and Israel, the nation of Israel, they're in a very, very bad time. Uh, Their nation is basically being destroyed uh, by surrounding nations, and it's just not good. And so in this psalm, though the, the circumstances around him, they're dark, they're bleak, they are not favorable, The psalmist, he does four key things, and we're going to talk about those four key things today. Uh, Four four key things, excuse me, that we should mimic, that we should replicate in these seasons when we uh, are not experiencing, or we're not seeing, rather. We're experiencing it, but we're not seeing the goodness and faithfulness of God in our lives. So your next blank should be point number one, And that is to remember what he's done, to remember what he's done. And this is found in verses one through three of Psalm 44, to remember what God has done. So when you can't see God's hand in your life, one of the first things you should do is you should remember what he's done in the past. You know, that applies to remembering what he's done in your life in the past, And it applies to remembering what he's done through his word in the past and even the lives of others. Let's take a look at verse one in Psalm 44. It says, we have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us the deeds you did in their days, in the days of old, you drove out the nations with your hand, but them you planted, you afflicted the peoples and cast them out. For they did not gain possession of the land by their own sword, nor did their own arm save them. But it was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your countenance, because you favored them. And we'll pause right there. So in the midst of these trying times, in the midst of these terrible circumstances that the psalmist, you're going to really get to see what those circumstances were. Um, in the the verses to come in this Psalm, you'll get an idea of just how bad it was. And he's not just being emotional in what he's writing. It's actually very, very bad. Uh, But the Psalmist, one of the first things he does is he remembers what God did in Israel's history, right? And what did God do in Israel's history? Well, he rescued them out of Egyptian slavery. If you guys are familiar with uh, the story of Moses, which we'll actually talk about later on, Uh, the story of Moses, how God freed the people of Israel from Egyptian slavery. And not only that, that God led them into the promised land. And there's this awesome story. I I encourage you guys, um, read your Old Testament. You know, we are new covenant believers. You know, we're under the blood of Jesus Christ, but there's so much awesome things in the Old Testament that we can Uh, learned from. And one of those things is how how God delivered uh, people out of slavery and led them into the promised land. And the psalmist brings that to mind because it's a story story of God's faithfulness. You know, God, he made a promise that uh, he would deliver the people out of Egyptian slavery and that he would lead them into the promised land. And unfortunately, that took a little bit longer than expected because Israel was very rebellious, kind of like you and I, very stubborn. Uh, My wife says that's one of my best qualities is I'm very stubborn. (laughs) Uh, but God, he, it's not my best quality. Like I got to work on that. I'm just serious. (laughs) Uh, But unfortunately, you know, it did take longer because they were very stubborn and uh, they were not seeking the Lord during that time. But God, nonetheless, he was still faithful. He still led them into the promised land. And in the Bible, you guys, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see all these stories of God's faithfulness. And we're to remember these things. The next point on your guys' notes is that we must intentionally choose to remember so that our faith and trust in God is built up and we would believe he will come through according to his good and perfect will. So the blanks right there are intentionally and remember. You know, as a Christian, someone who's been walking with the Lord for some time, and I'm sure you can totally relate to this, we need to be intentional in the decisions that we make and the things that we do. You are not naturally prone to grow close to God. You have this thing within you called flesh. You guys heard of that before, right? And that's, that's the old you. The Bible refers to your flesh as the old you. Now, when you came to Jesus, that flesh, it still exists, right? And there's this ongoing war that often happens within you, of your flesh fighting against the spirit of God. And it says that these things are contrary to another in Galatians, meaning they don't want the other to succeed. The flesh doesn't want the spirit in you to succeed. The spirit doesn't want the flesh in you to succeed. Obviously, we want to walk in the spirit. But the flesh is our natural tendency, That's what we naturally gravitate towards is, you know, walking in the flesh. So we have to be very intentional in the Christian life. We have to make decisions. We have to do things intentionally. And one of those things is that we have to intentionally remember the faithfulness of God by looking at these stories, by having your own stories. You know, in the Old Testament, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but Israel in their history, God would do something amazing and Israel would... Uh, they would build an altar or a monument or something physical that would actually remind them of what God did. So like a physical place, a physical thing, they would build it. And so when they would go by this thing in the years to come, they would remember what God did. And you know, I think there's a lot to be learned from that. I would ask you, what are these monuments in your life? Are there monuments in your life where you can look back and you can be like, I remember what God did there. And because I remember what he did there, even though I might not see him working in my life in the present moment, I have this thing to look back on and remember what he did. Does that kind of make sense? A monument. You know, we should have monuments in our lives that we look back upon as well. I don't know if you guys have ever seen, have you ever gone by a tree um, and you see like these carvings in the tree, usually it's like a heart and a couple of initials, you know, a young couple in love and whatnot right it's kind of funny, but it's it's like a monument to that couple right it's like a It's like a physical thing that if they go by this tree, you know in the years to come, they're reminded of their love for one another and that's kind of like what I'm getting to as well. You know, for for my wife and I, uh, we don't have a tree, but there is a place that we go to sometimes, and we're remembered of the love we have for one another. And it's a it's a spot in Laguna Beach. Maybe you've been there uh, called Crescent Bay. Um, it's a beautiful beach, and there's a spot that like overlooks the ocean, and uh, we we you know. While we were dating, we had a date there and then it ended up being the place that I proposed to her at. And so it's like a monument in our relationship, right? If we go back to this place today, we're reminded of our love for one another. So that's what it kind of looks like to have a monument in your life of God's faithfulness. You look back upon this thing and you're reminded of how God is still good and how he is still faithful, even when you don't see it. Point number two is to trust in who he is and what he's going to do. To trust, that, that's the blank. To trust in who he is and what he is going to do. Two very important things there. And we're going to look at verses 4 through 8 now of Psalm 44. So in Psalm 44, verse 4, it says, You are my king, O God. Command victories for Jacob. Through you, we will push down our enemies. Through your name, we will trample those who rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, nor shall my sword save me. But you have saved us from our enemies and have put to shame those who hated us. In God, we boast all day long and praise your name forever." And so in addition to remembering what God has done in the past in verses one through three, we see the psalmist trusting, actively trusting, right? Another one of trusting is another one of those things that doesn't come natural. You don't naturally trust God. You choose to trust God. So you have to actively do that. And we see the psalmist actively trusting God in who he knows God is and what he knows God is going to do. He says, you are my king, O God, remembering that God is their king. He is the king of the nation of Israel uh, who leads them and is good to them. And then in verses five through through eight, we see him talking about what he's going to trust in. What does he say? He says, I'm not going to trust in my own bow or my own sword, right? These are representative of things that are within his power. Right? He's not going to trust in himself, is essentially what he's saying. I'm not going to trust in myself when I'm going through a difficult time because if I'm trusting in myself, I'm not going to get through the difficult time. That's the bottom line. But it's when you trust in God, the psalmist says, God, I'm going to trust in you and I'm going to trust in your salvation. I'm going to trust in your strength. That's when real trust comes into play. I think it's interesting. You know, sometimes. We act like we're trusting God, when in reality, we're kind of only halfway trusting God. It's like we're still like, we're like, God, I give this situation into your hands. I, you know, the common phrase is I lay it at your feet, Jesus, meaning you've surrendered this thing. But it's like you're, you're laying, sometimes we lay it at his feet and we like still have like one hand kind of like holding onto the thing while the other's open. Kind of like tricking ourselves into thinking that we're actually trusting God when in reality, we're still very much trying to control this situation. And that's only like half trust and half trust isn't much trust at all. And the next blank you guys, uh, as you are you know going through this, uh, your guided notes is that trust is faith in action and that trust is not dependent on circumstances. Trust is faith in action and trust is not dependent on circumstances. And getting back to that half, you know, trusting half not trusting kind of thing I was mentioning, think about it like this. Uh, Any of you guys like into boating, like going to the lake or the river or anything like that, or out on the ocean? I love that stuff. I'm I'm a river rat. You know, I I love being out there on the lake tubing and doing water sports and stuff. Um, I wish I could be out there more often. I wish I had a boat. You know, I'd love to have a boat one day. We'll see. Maybe I'll get a boat. Uh, go fishing and stuff on. I like all that stuff. <laughs> but nonetheless, when you're on a boat, you guys, and you, you bring it into the dock, right, after being on the lake or the ocean, you have to tie that boat to the dock, right? Makes sense. So the boat just doesn't start floating away. And so when you tie the boat to the dock, you know, you might tie it in a couple locations just to make sure that it's secure. When we act like we're trusting God, but we're only halfway trusting God, it's like removing half of the ropes that are holding that boat to the dock, Right? You can remove half the ropes that are holding the boat to the dock, but the the boat's still going to be attached to the dock at the end of it. And that's kind of what it's like to only partially trust God. Your boat is you, right? And trusting God is taking off all the ropes and letting God have full control of the situation. And so the two blanks that we filled in are the two uh, sentences is that trust is faith in action. You guys are Christians. A lot of you raise your hand when I ask you a question about how long you've been saved and whatnot. Trusting in God is what your faith looks like being activated, right? Being used, being exercised. The trusting in God is something that you're always going to need to do. And, you know, it's easy to trust God when things are going fine, right? It's easy to trust God when life is good, right? Because you got no problems. But what about when life isn't good? What about when your life is full of problems? Well, that's when real trust comes into play. That's real trust. And trust is not dependent upon circumstances. And I want to look at the story of Moses to kind of branch off of that point of trust not being dependent upon circumstances. I mentioned Moses earlier. Uh, Moses, he's a Hebrew boy who um, is raised in the land of Egypt in the family of Pharaoh, the most powerful man in all of Egypt. Right, and he ends up growing up in this family, and he ends up prospering and doing well. And then one day, you know, Moses—he the whole time he knew he was a Hebrew, he knew he was an Israelite—and at this time, he knows all of Israel is enslaved to the people of Egypt. And the people of Egypt—they were not good slave masters; they were very cruel, very cruel. And he sees one day he sees one of his fellow Israelites uh, being beaten uh, by an Egyptian. And so he goes over and he actually kills the guy, just straight up kills him. And yeah, I know. Um, but nonetheless, he, he kills this man. And in fear for you know what he did, he you know, feels uh, very scared about the consequences that are to come. He actually uh, goes and he flees to uh, the wilderness. He runs away. And it's in the wilderness that God meets him there. And God has uh, some things to say to him there. And God tells him basically that, Moses, I'm going to deliver my people out of this slavery in Egypt, and you're going to be the one that I'm going to use to do it, right? And Moses initially, he's like, uh, no, Lord, I can't. Like, this, these circumstances, like, no way, right? Uh, but eventually, God, uh, you know, he persuades Moses, and Moses accepts the role. And so Moses goes back to Egypt, and he tells Pharaoh, uh, he says, you know, you probably heard, let my people go, right? That, that phrase. And Pharaoh initially, Pharaoh was not, you know, well, not initially, Pharaoh was not the best guy throughout the whole story. He, was, uh, he hardened his heart and he uh, persecuted the people even more. Uh, and so God, he sends these plagues. Have you ever read about the plagues in the book of Exodus? Yeah, yeah, they're pretty intense. And uh, each plague, Pharaoh continues to harden his heart even more. And then finally, uh, the last plague, I guess, kind of set Pharaoh over. And he's finally, he's just like, fine, just leave. Get out of here. We can't take this anymore. You guys just got to go. Moses, take all the Israelites and get out of here. And so Moses is like, all right, mission accomplished. And so uh, they're leaving. And then Pharaoh is like this. He has his change of mind just like that. As they're leaving, he's like, what are we doing? We're letting our slaves go. How are we going to continue to function as a nation without our slaves? And so Pharaoh and his armies, they pursue Israel as they're fleeing and they actually go all the way to the Red Sea. And when you think of the Red Sea, I don't want you to think of like some small lake, like Prado Lake over here in Chino. I want you to think of like a a really big sea, massive. Okay. And so they're at the shores of the Red Sea and Pharaoh, has, Pharaoh and his army are coming after uh, it, the whole nation of Israel, literally talking like millions of people, you guys. And Moses, how did Moses handle this moment? The people of Israel, they're freaking out. They are losing their minds. They're like, it would, be, it would have been better for us to just be in Egypt still slaves cuz at least we had food. At least if we died, we could, you know, be buried there. If we die out in the wilderness, I mean, it's it's this is awful. Like they're panicking. Full-blown panic. But how did Moses handle in this moment? Ha- handle this moment? He he did he had two options basically in this moment. He's, you know, the the Israelites are surrounded. And the Red Sea is in front of them. They can't walk on water. They didn't know what God was going to do. God hadn't made a promise that he was going to part the Red Sea. They didn't know this, right? But Moses had two options. Number one, he could panic like everybody else and be like, oh my gosh, God, like, you know, like just start freaking out. But he doesn't. He chooses option number two, which is to take God at his word and believe that God would somehow make a way in this situation, even when it didn't seem like there was a way. And so you don't have to turn there just because I'm only going to read some of the verses, but in Exodus 14 is where we find this story. And I want to focus on Moses's response in this moment. In Exodus 14, 13, it says, And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you. And you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And then in verses 21 through 23, we see how Moses, he, you know, he obeys the voice of the Lord in this moment. He stretches out his hand over the Red Sea. The Red Sea parts, and there's these literal massive walls of water on each side of the nation of Israel as they are walking through on dry ground. God made a way for them when there was no way to be made, right? If Moses in this moment, you guys, if he had a trust that was dependent upon his circumstances, would he have trusted God? No. His circumstances were awful. How is Israel going to get out of this situation? But instead of trusting on his, upon the circumstances, instead of his trust being dependent upon that, his trust was dependent upon who God was and what God had said. And so that was our second point of trusting in who God was and what he had said. And, you know, in Moses, in the moment of trial, he chose to trust in these things. Um, and, you know, in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, you guys, this, is, this should be a blank for you guys to fill in. The New Testament puts it like this. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. And I would say that Moses in that moment that he lived this promise out. And we as Christians, we're to, we're to walk in the same way. We're not to walk, to walk, by, to walk by sight is to trust kind of depending upon the circumstances, right? To kind of trust God when things are good. To not so much trust God when things aren't good. But to walk by faith is to trust in and look to God. Is to trust in and to look to God. And another dynamic that is that is involved in trusting in God and who he is and what he said or what he's going to do is to cling to his promises. To cling to his promises. I don't know about you guys, but what comes to my head when I hear the word cling is like holding on to for dear life, right? And we're to do that with the promises of God. We're to hold on to them for dear life. And so this morning, I want to I read. 10 promises of God over you right now. And if you're taking notes on that paper, or if you have a separate page of notes, I want you to just write the references. So don't write down the whole verse. You won't have time because I'm gonna read through them quickly. But listen, they're gonna be on the screen too. There's a total of 10 there. And these are promises that you can hold on to for dear life when you are in the trial, when you are in difficult times. So as you write them down, I'm just gonna read them over you. Maybe you'll find one that can get you through a difficult time. There's plenty in the Bible. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Meaning what you're going through, God is going to use it somehow for his good, for your good, actually. All right. You might not see how he's going to do it, but he's going to do it. He's promised to do it. It's going to work out to your benefit. Jeremiah 29:11 For I know the thoughts that I think towards you says the Lord thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. That's an amazing verse. Jeremiah 29:11. But what you don't realize about Jeremiah 29:11 is the context of to whom it was given. It was given to the nation of Israel, but they are actually being held captive by Babylon. All right? And they are literally Their lives are awful right now. And God says these words to them. He says, you know, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of good, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And they're like, are you kidding me, God? Like, I can almost imagine their response. Like, are you kidding me, God? Like, how are you going to say that when our situation looks like this? And it's hard to receive some of these promises when our situation, you know, might look similar or just not great. But that's exactly when God gave that promise. He says, hey, I think good towards you, not evil. That's a peace. And so we need to hold on to these things. 2 Corinthians four seventeen. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Isaiah forty I'm going to pick it up here with these verses. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. Isaiah 41:13, "For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, "Fear not, I will help you." Romans 8:18, 8, "For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us." First Corinthians 16. 1557 is what it should say. I'm sorry if it says 16 up there. Uh, oh, it says 15. Cool. Uh, 1557 says, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I love that verse because what it tells me is that God's not done with me until he's done with me, right? Right? In the situation I might be in, it might seem like God's done with me, but he's not done with me until he's fully done with me, which is the day that I die or the day that the Lord comes back for the church, right? The rapture. First Thessalonians five twenty four. he who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. And Jeremiah 31, 3, the Lord has appeared of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. You guys want to see what it looks like to hold on to a promise of God during a difficult time? It looks like that. <laughs> um, this, is, this is a funny GIF. I'm glad the GIF actually works because in the high school ministry, it uh, didn't work for me. So I don't know what the difference was. But hey, you get the idea. This, this cat is holding onto this tree for dear life and the winds are blowing. And it's, it's like, this is almost like what we do when we're going through a trial And we're holding on to God's promises, right? We're holding on to his word. The winds are blowing and life is crazy, but we can hold on to something that is secure. And those are the promises of God. When you're going through a difficult time, find a promise of God and hold on to it. You know, probably about a year and a half ago, two years ago, I was going through a really difficult time. And for me, it was Psalm 37. I probably read Psalm 37 like, 20 to 30 times throughout that time of life that I was going through, because it was just that anchor for me that helped me get through that time. So cling to God's promises, all right? Trust in who he is, trust in what he's going to do. Point number three is to stay faithful, even when it's tough. And you know, I might actually even say, stay faithful, especially when it's tough. Stay faithful, even when it's tough. Stay faithful, especially when it's tough. We're going to be looking at a lot more verses here, verses 9 through 22 in Psalm 44. The psalmist, he writes in verse 9, but you have cast us off. This is where we really, this, pay attention. This is where we really get some insight into what the psalmist and the nation of Israel was going through. Okay. It says, but you have cast us off and put us to shame. He's talking to God. He says, and you do not go out with our armies. You make us turn back from the enemy and those who hate us have taken spoil for themselves. You have given us up like sheep intended for food and have scattered us among the nations. You, shall, you sell your people for next to nothing and are not enriched by selling them. You make us a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and a derision to those all around us. You make us a byword among the nations, a shaking of the head among the peoples. My dishonor is continually before me and the shame of my face has covered me because of the voice of him who reproaches and reviles because of the enemy and the avenger. And we'll take a brief little pause right there. So he is basically describing just how bad what they're going through is. It's like, God, you're not, it doesn't feel like you're on our side right now, God. I don't see you in this situation. But what does he go on to say in verse 17? He says, all this has come upon us, but we have not forgotten you, nor have we dealt falsely with your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. But you have severely broken us in the place of jackals and have covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a foreign God, would not God search this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And so in the time of trial that they're going through, Uh, in the time of trial that we will go through, this is when we actually find out what our faith is really made of, all right? That's when you really experience what your faith is really made of. And our next uh, note-taking point is that true faith is refined in trials. Weak faith is exposed by them. True faith is refined, meaning made stronger, made more pure, During trials, but weak faith is oftentimes exposed by these trials. And you know, as it is with trusting God, you guys, it's easy to be faithful and to walk with the Lord when things are fine, but it's a lot more difficult to be faithful and walk with the Lord when things are not fine. The psalmist, he talks all about the struggle that they're going through and that the people, you know, are all going through together. But despite all of that, he is able to say, he says that they've remained faithful, they have not forgotten God and they have not forsaken his way. You know, what will we do in our times of life when things are not going according to plan, when life is just bad, when you're going through something serious? I'm sure you've been through something difficult before. You're going to go through more difficult things. What will you do in those moments? What will you do when you don't see God moving in your life. In terms of faithfulness, will you you look to God in these moments and remain faithful, or will you look away from God and turn aside to other things? And having been a Christian for some time, I mean, you guys might not know people in this, you know, know friends who the same way as this, but when you've been a Christian for some time, you see people kind of fall off. Um, They kind of walk away from the faith. Uh, that they once had. And a lot of the times what I've noticed is they do this when something traumatic happens in their life, right? Something bad happens. Maybe their parents got a divorce. Maybe their, uh, you know, a mother, father, brother, sister, somebody died or something. And they're just like, God did this. And because God did this, I'm I'm not on board anymore. That's the wrong way to handle it. You know, it's in times like that, the unexpected times that come upon us that are so difficult that we ultimately, we need to submit to God's will and trust that he's working on the back end of things according to his good and perfect plan. You know who had to do this in the Bible? Job. Are you guys familiar with the story of Job? If you're not, I'm going to run through it really quick for you. Job, he was a good man that feared the Lord and shunned evil, right? You can read the book of Job on your own and see all about it. And so one day, Satan actually comes into the presence of God. And he says, uh, you know, God actually brings up Job. God is like, hey, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan's like, yeah, but Job, you know, he's only faithful to you. He's only good to you, Lord, because, uh, because you're so good to him because you have this hedge of protection around him, because his life and Job's life was awesome, right? God had completely blessed Job. So Satan, he goes on to challenge the faithfulness of Job and ask God to basically let uh, him ruin Job's life, and God allows it. And not long after this, after this interaction between God and Satan, um, <laughs> this, imagine this happening to you, literally like, imagine these people coming to you and telling you these terrible things, right? Not long after Job gets a report, one of his servants, they come running to him and they say, "Uh, Job, uh, your your oxen, your livestock, it's all been stolen and all the people that you had working, uh, they've all been killed. And then another guy, literally like as that guy's practically finishing his sentence, another guy comes, he's like, "Uh, Job, your sheep uh, and all the shepherds and the workers that were with the sheep, Sheep were stolen and uh, the workers uh, they were killed too, and then another one comes. And listen to this, Um, Job. He tells Job, he says, uh, "Yeah, Job, I know all that just happened. Uh, The camels, uh, you know, and by the way, your livestock and your farming and all that. That was that was how you were rich back then. So this is like all of Job's possessions." Uh, that caused him to succeed and be rich. Another guy comes and he says, yeah, the camels, uh, they were, and the workers that were with them, they, they weren't stolen. They were actually just uh, caught up in flames. They just started burning out of nowhere. There was no reason they just started burning from, literally says a fire from heaven. <laughs> so Job is like, oh my goodness, what next? So another one comes. Here's another guy. Uh, what are we up to now, four or five? <laughs> and this guy comes and he tells him, hey, Job, uh, your whole family... Uh, but his wife, uh, his wife was still alive, uh, had been killed by a building collapsing on them. Wow. And that he, the, the servant alone survived and was able to come tell Job. And so all of this happened so quickly and unexpectedly. How would you respond? I'd be like, my mind would be blown. I wouldn't even know what to do, <laughs> right? would <laughs> be like, how do you handle that? But listen to what Job does. How does Job respond? Well, first it says he tore his robe and shaved his head. You might be like, tore his robe, shaved his head. Like, why why would you do that? That was, in biblical times, that was a sign of of shame, of lament, of just being so broken. But he also does this. He says, it says that he fell to the ground and worshiped the Lord, saying this. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. Like, well, that's confusing. But he goes on to say what he's meaning with that. He says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. But the story doesn't end there, you guys. More stuff comes and happens in Job's life. Satan actually goes to the, goes to the Lord again. And, uh, you know, Satan's like, yeah, well, you know, he didn't, he didn't deny you. He didn't uh, stop being faithful because you're protecting his health. Let me out let me his health, his physical health, um, and then he'll, he'll, he'll curse you, God. I'll make him curse you. And so God, knowing Job's faith, he says, all right. So Satan, uh, he goes on to give him these nasty, nasty boils all over his body. Imagine just like like bubbly pimples, just like all over. Like, sorry to give you that image in your head, but it's disgusting. Like it's painful beyond what you can even imagine. And Job's wife this is a funny interaction you're about to listen to right here. Job's wife, she's had enough. She's seriously, she's done. She's like, we lost our whole family. We lost everything. She says, why don't you just curse God and die? That's what she tells her husband. And fellas, uh, listen to the wisdom of Job in this, uh, in this next statement. Uh, it's the best pickup line you'll ever hear right here, by the way. He says, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. That's how I. Uh, that's how I got my wife to fall in love with me. That was the first. That was the first thing I told her. I told her, "You speak as one of the foolish women speak." No, I'm totally kidding, by the way. <laughs> but it's funny because jo- jo- Joel, hey Joel, <laughs> uh, Job, excuse me, uh, he points out the foolishness in her statement, not not necessarily her, but he goes on to say, he says, "Shall we indeed accept good from God?" And shall we not accept adversity? Meaning, shall we only accept the good times and not the bad times? Is that what the Christian life is dependent upon? Is the good times versus the bad times? And it goes on to say that in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And so the story goes on. Um, But Job, you guys, the reason why I bring up this story is because Job was a man who saw and experienced the goodness and faithfulness of God. But what did he do when all these things were taken away from him? He remained faithful. He remained faithful. And so in the times when we don't see God moving in our lives, in the, in the times of trial and adversity, you know, we have a choice to either remain faithful to stay the course or to turn aside to another way. Are you going to give up? You know, I, I was an athlete my whole life. And you don't give up. Like, that's, how, that's what I was taught. Like, quitting is not an option. You don't give up. And it's, and it's like that with the Christian life, too. Yes, it's going to get really difficult at times, but you don't give up. Listen to Job's words. These, this is the last I want to share about the story of Job. I love what he says here. And I think it's just, like, perfect to what we're talking about today. In Job 23, verses 8 through 12, it says, Look, I go forward, but he is not there. He's referring to God. And he says, and backwards, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right, I cannot see him. Meaning, God, I don't see you in my life right now. Where are you? This sucks. Right? This is awful. Where are you, Lord? But he, verse 10, it says, but he knows the way that I take. But when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. So Job, he's like, God, where are you in this? Where are you in this? But what does it go on to say? It says that his foot held fast to God's way. In the times that your life gets very difficult, be like Job. Your life's not going to be more difficult than Job, by the way. You're probably not going to go through something worse than what Job went through. And if he can do it, you can too. Job was not, Job was not God, right? He was a regular man like, like you and I. But he held fast to God's way. And lastly, you guys, point number four, wrapping up, is to cry out to God in desperation. To cry out. Point number four. It should be the last blank on your, uh, on your notes. To cry out to God in desperation. And we're looking at verses 23 through uh, 26 here in Psalm 44. In closing, it says in verse 23, awake. Why do you sleep, O Lord? Arise, do not cast us off forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our body clings to the ground. Arise for our help and redeem us for your mercy's sake. And so in ending the psalm, the psalmist ends by absolutely crying out to the Lord with everything that is in him in desperation, meaning, God, I am desperate for you. I am in a situation that only you can change. The psalmist recognize it's not within his power to be able to fix what he's going through, but God could do it. And not that our prayers you know, are ranked in any certain way, but um, you know, there is something so special about praying to God in desperation. When you're in a situation where only God can do it, I'll tell you what, you'll pray a lot harder than you usually do. You know, God, he doesn't take delight in, in seeing us struggle, right? Like a, like a kid holding a magnifying glass on a worm or something. Like that's not how God does things. He doesn't like watching us, you know, go through difficult times. What he wants us to do in these difficult times is he, he wants us to cry out to him, in an attitude of reverence and desperation. And so you can go ahead and close your Bibles. And we're going to wrap things up. I'm going to, our conclusion today. Worship team, you can come on out. So maybe you are in the middle of a trial right now. Maybe you're walking through a really difficult season. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're in one of those awesome seasons where things are fine. Um, maybe you're in a season where, where you don't feel like God's hand is really moving in your life. Maybe you, maybe you do feel like his hand is really moving in your life. If you're not in that season right now, you're going to be one day. So I pray that these words would, uh, you know, that you would be reminded of these things when you walk through that time. But what do you do? What do you do when you don't see God's hand in your life? Well, number one, you remember. You remember what he's done right? Has God not done good things in the past? He has. He totally has. Has he not proven himself faithful? He totally has. And so you remember what he's done. You remember those monuments in your life where God did something amazing. You don't forget that. Number two, you trust in who he is and what he's going to do. Remembering that your trust is not Something that's dependent upon your circumstances, right? It's not dependent upon the situation. You trust God regardless of the situation. And number three is that you remain faithful, even when it's tough. Okay? When when you're in a very difficult time, you don't quit. You don't turn back. You don't turn aside to other things. You stay the course. And it will be tough. It will be. But you remain faithful. And finally, that you cry out to him in desperation, just like the psalmist. After, after describing his awful situation, he doesn't stay there. He cries out to the Lord and he says, God, please do something. Will you, will you pray harder when, when you're in a difficult time? I hope that you will. Let's pray. Lord, this life, full of ups, full of downs. At times it's, it's awesome, and at times it's not so awesome. But God, you do not change. You are good. You are faithful. Even when we don't see it, Lord, we trust in you. We trust in who we know you to be. God, we remember what you've done in our lives. We never forget that. God, help us to remain faithful even when it's tough and to cry out to you with all that's within us even when we don't see you. In Jesus' name we pray.